You will rejoice to hear that no disaster has accompanied the commencement of an enterprise which you have regarded with such evil forebodings. I arrived here yesterday, and my first task is to assure my dear sister of my welfare and increasing confidence in the success of my undertaking. Undertaking or undertaker? At about two o'clock, the mist cleared away, and we beheld, stretched out in every direction, vast and irregular plains of ice, which seemed to have no end. Some of my comrades groaned, and my own mind began to grow watchful with anxious thoughts, when a strange sight suddenly attracted our attention and diverted our solicitude from our own situation. We perceived a low carriage fixed on a sledge and drawn by dogs pass on towards the north at the distance of half a mile, a being which had the shape of a man, but apparently of gigantic stature, sat in the sledge and guided the dogs. And now for a smoke break. Hello and good evening. Happy 420. I tried to call into work today and actually interrupted my boss as he was absent from work setting up his vendor booth downtown. I am William Morgan in Denver, Colorado, and this is 42 Minutes, a production of SyncBook Radio and TheSyncBook.com. We are a weekly conversation with the interesting artists and thinkers of our day. You can find us online at 42minutes.com, and you can reach us by sending a message to mail at 42minutes.com. You can also follow our tweets at Sync42 and at SyncBook. It's the 20th day of April, and mmm, smoke, good, friend, good, alone, bad. Not to worry, Morgan, we won't be alone tonight. And despite the terror and the possibilities of the nightmare, we have the pleasure of sharing another 42 minutes with none other than Rodney Asher, director and editor of the film Room 237. He is the winner of the 2012 IDA Creative Achievement Award for Best Editing and the 2012 Fantastic Award for Best Director. His new film, The Nightmare, debuted at the 2015 Sundance Film Festival and will be released by Gravitas in June. His previous works include The S from Hell and the a posthumous Andy Kaufman album. More information about these projects can be found at RodneyAsher.com. Tonight, however, we must announce with some haste that currently Mr. Asher has a new project which he is seeking crowdsource funding for by way of a Kickstarter. The campaign ends on April 30th and the project looks fabulous. We will share all the appropriate links to the Kickstarter in the show notes and on social media. It looks like something that we're all going to want to see, so I, I advise everyone to check it out. Hello, Rodney. What is this project, and why are you seeking funding? Hey, hey guys. Um, so this is Terror of Frankenstein, Director's Commentary. It is a... Um, well, Terror of Frankenstein is an existing film from the 70s, a pretty straightforward telling of uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein story, actually one of the... Um, one of the most loyal to the original um, that you're going to find, starring, of all people, Leon Vitale from uh, Stanley Kubrick's Eyes Wide Shut and, um, and uh, Lord Bullingdon from Barry Lyndon. Now, the film, the original film, you know, again, is an existing film, but what this project is, is um, Tim Kirk, a producer from Room 237, with Jay Kirk, a writer for, um, I don't know, magazines like Harper's and um, I think the Atlantic Monthly wrote an entirely new 
metafictional commentary track um, that plays over the film with um, and, and Leon Vitale has returned playing himself um, recording it um, but this is a long and boring <laughs> introduction to it but it's not exactly you know it's not a mystery science theater 3000 kind of a spoof you know it is a more it is its own sort of weird frightening um you know and kind of fascinating horror movie in a way i kind of consider it um three separate frankenstein stories because there's the original there is a monster that is created within the telling of the uh within the commentary but also by joining these three these things together it is an entire it is a you know a weird kind of hybrid monster of itself and you know this one Tim wrote it with Jay, Tim directed, I produced and uh, cut it with him. And um, yeah, we're I mean, two thirds way through our Kickstarter. Um, you know, this is a you know, insane independent project of the sorts that, you know, we wouldn't have begun to know where to get, um, you know, traditional funding for. Well, so in the Kickstarter film, it's funny because it teases me into thinking that it is it, it's not fictional. So uh, the actor is saying that the, the murder and mayhem really was going on, and and that's just fiction then. Um, well, lines blur, but ultimately, you know, spoiler alert, um, you know, most of the cast crew weren't murdered in the making of the original. But, you know, Leon Vitale is both, you know, an actor in Terror Frankenstein, but he's also an actor in a character, you know, in a character named Leon Vitale. Yeah. You know, within um, director's commentary. So why Terror of Frankenstein, though? Well, um, it was always going to be a Frankenstein movie, and um, in the search for the perfect one, um, Leon... Um, Leon Vitale and the Kubrick connection was very intriguing. And when I met Leon um, at a film festival um, at the Stanley Hotel a couple of years ago, you know, the Stanley Hotel is the hotel that inspired Stephen King to write The Shining. Um, purely a coincidence that it's named Stanley, uh, or is it? Um, <laughs> <laughs> you are such a um, kid. This is intentional thing. <laughs> Well, and, and, you know, happily enough, the Stanley Festival, Stanley Hotel is where, you know, Terror Frankenstein is going to debut. Um, but there was enough interesting things about this movie, and it also seems to have been kind of unfairly forgotten about, which both gave uh, gives us license, you know, to reinvent it um, and make it sort of a fresh experience, you know, for new people, you know, when they see it. But, um it won't be something that they've seen a hundred times. Is is it? Would you say it's a, it's a good movie, or is it a product of its time? I think it came out in 1977. Yeah. Um, it's a good movie. It's not a bad movie. You know, it's a little pokey by it's you know it's a little pokey by today's standards. Um, Leon is good in it as he is in everything. It seems like it might be missing a scene or two. You know, maybe. Um, you know, I've got no idea what um, you know what the production of it was like. It is a very different conception of the monster. It is a really complicated relationship between you know the monster and the and uh, and Victor Frankenstein. 
Apparently, the original title was not Terror Frankenstein, but Victor Frankenstein, which I think is a really provocative title. It's a way of, you know, emphasizing this is the story of the doctor, not the story, you know, the monster. Oh, good point. Hmm. Well, what's this through line that you have with horror movies? I mean, if you think of Room 237, it's definitely a documentary about a horror movie. You actually have Nightmare, which is about terror, night terror, night horror, and then Frankenstein. I mean, and then you've done other work as far as horror goes as too. I mean, is this something that's in you, or is this just a coincidence? (laughs) Well, I mean, terror. the, The Frankenstein project is something that you know originated with Tim. So, I mean, um. I can't be blamed for the inception of it, but certainly um, once I be, once you know it was presented to me, it was something that you know I very much cottoned to and wanted to help bring into existence. Um, I don't. I think horror. I, I don't know that horror is the only genre, or you know, or that the intersection of horror and documentary, you know, is going to be the only place, you know, that that I work in for the rest of my life, but. I mean, those are documentary and horror are two genres that I like a lot, both as a filmmaker and as an audience member. You know, in a way, before these last couple of projects, I might have been drifting away from horror in my own life. Um, you know, I know, like in my teens and in twenties, you know, horror was sort of a a crucible that I like to, you know, kind of plunge myself into. You know, um, you know, I never. Um, you know, I, I, I never traveled around the country, you know, as part of a band, you know, I never joined the military, um, you know, I, so I never submitted myself to like a really intense, grueling physical challenge. And I didn't backpack across Europe or anything. So I think maybe enduring the most, um, outrageous horror movies was kind of <laughs> the trial by fire, um, I submitted myself to. It was your right uh, of in my younger days. Yeah, yeah, and and, and, I, and I imagine that it's the same way for a lot of people. Um, um, so you know, even though you know, as I've gotten older, you know, I, I, I you know, I haven't seen most of the most popular horror movies in the last you know ten years or so, but you know, the ones I saw in my formative years really stayed with me. You know, and I always. You know, when I see film, you know, as, you know, mostly as a visual medium in horror movies, you know, lend themselves towards, you know, really expressing outrageous visuals. So, um, I love those. And I know I was talking to, um, when, when we were traveling a little bit with Room 237 and, um, we were at a screening of The Shining, me and Bill Blakemore, who's one of the interviewees, and, in 237, we're at a screening of The Shining, and I was in a conversation with 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 a with, with a moderator. We were going to be doing a Q and A Q&A before, and the idea that you know horror sort of lends itself to metaphor in a way that a lot of other genres of film don't. Um, I think it might have surprised him a little bit because he really, besides The Shining, is not terribly interested in horror, you know, but you know, I mentioned Frankenstein, you know, for, you know, all the metaphors that um, spring forth from there, or, you know, I would t- or I compared Godzilla and King Kong to, 
you know, global warming and endangered species. Um, and, you know, I think when horror works, it, it tends to do it on a, on a level that is, you know, more primal, more psychoanalytic. Um, so, um, you know, little red riding. Oh God. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. I just got this spontaneous phone call from Andras Jones right before this, 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 uh, yeah, I don't know. My sync mind starts spinning because I know you guys share a birthday. And plus, I mean, right. he, he did Nightmare on Elm Street 4. You did your Nightmare version. I just see, well, I have this premonition. I, I'm sorry to interrupt. I was just going to say, you haven't seen Nightmare yet, but um, there, there is some weird over there. While investigate, while researching the project and while making the film, I was surprised, you know, um, the connections that I found within it and and Nightmare on Elm Street. Let's talk about that for a second. Oh, well, well, let me finish my thought. I just, I think. Yeah, I'm, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. What the, the, the finish? I'm what you're predicting? I'm predicting you're doing a fiction movie, and it's going to be an intentional sync film, and you're going to use Andros Jones, <laughs> <laughs> and you're going to take his little sync web, and you're going to do it intentionally, and you're going to thank me in the credits. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Well, there's there's at least one very obvious um, um, intentional sync thing, um, you know, within the nightmare. But and it was funny. I remember, you know, I I, I did a, a little Skype in to the uh, Sync Summit um, last year, and there was a precursor. You know, while we were talking, you know, he said, "I know you're not, you don't consider yourself a sync filmmaker," and. I mean, it's true. I think that, you know, my, I, I'm got to this place, you know, via a very different path than, um, you know, some of the more hardcore sync guys. But as I, as I thought about that idea, I was like, you know, really every filmmaker is a sync filmmaker, you know, in being, a, if nowhere else and during the editing process is when you discover you know connections that you wouldn't have that that you could that you didn't that you didn't plan and sometimes it's as simple as you know you lay down a piece of music and things will line up yeah. you know you'll 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 plan it for one point but things will line up in others as well and it was like an exercise that I used to do with when I was teaching an editing class you know that people that we would pick a piece of music and lay it underneath the scene, thinking of intending it to work in one moment. And as you let it go, you know, it happened. It, it you, more, more connections, you know, appear. Um, yeah. Anyway. I mean, that, I mean, that's like the dark side of the rainbow or, you know, whatever these mashups that people do, we call them think ups where you take, uh, a very well-known movie and a very well-known album and you play the two simultaneously and everything, but you're saying that you are, were actually teaching that in class, basically. Do you, do you think that that's like, there's something to that or is that just how our brains work? Well, I mean, you know, you, I've heard the phrase and, you know, I don't remember where it comes from anymore. You know, that you know, the mind is a machine for, making patterns or, or recognizing them. Um, and I don't know, I, 
you know, when I was doing this exercise in class, it wasn't as explicit, you know, as the way we're talking about it now. But it's it was always an interesting exercise to watch how, you know, a piece of music that even maybe has a tempo that doesn't seem right for the scene, you know, starts to emphasize other elements from it. Mm-hmm. Okay, Douglas, I think you wanted to go back to to, to Nightmare. Well, no, now I'm I'm thinking about how just what <laughs> <laughs> the people that have married various pieces of art together. The thing that it is most interesting to me is art concepts that come from the same place and what they do, like how they talk together. So, like the the idea of marrying the White Album and the Rosemary's Baby that film. Because there's there's all kinds of weird synchronicities with those two projects anyway, that it creates something bizarre. More. Yeah, it's exactly what you're talking about with terror, where you have one layer and then another layer, but by marrying the two things together, you get multiple, you know, you, you create a, a bunch of other layers unconsciously and, I, and that, that's something i think about too the difference between so you consciously are trying to focus on the one point but then you know how much is is luck and how much is actually unconsciously you intuitively know what you're doing as a director or an editor too do you feel like intuition is intuition is you know maybe can get the ball rolling but, you know, I think one thing I found um, on The Nightmare, which, you know, was different in 237 in that, you know, there was a lot of live action production and, and, and photography that we would do, is that, you know, some of the most successful elements um, for me came from not things that I planned, but things that I was just alert enough to see happening and then capitalized on them. You know, like there's a very simple thing where, um, you know, there was this one shot, you know, where sort of a shadow man is entering a room. And as we were lining the shot up, um, Bridger, my cameraman, was putting the lens on the camera and maybe he was changing from one lens to another. And as he was, as he was tightening it onto the camera, there was a live video feed. And I could see the way the picture was shaking. And because this was supposed to be the point of view of somebody who was panicking but immobilized, that kind of jarring, um, blurry, shaky effect seemed very appropriate for that character's point of view. You know, so we did a few takes where he was, you know, shaking and putting the lens off and on in the course of the shot. And that wasn't something I would have planned. But by trying to be open to, to things that I would uh, I, I would see as they happened, I was able to take advantage of it. Okay, so talk about <clears throat> sleep paralysis. What is that? <laughs> and then why does it interest you? Well, with sleep paralysis, you know, is a state of consciousness. It happens. Sometimes it happens as you're going to sleep. Sometimes it happens as you're waking up. Um, you know, I think statistics say it happens about six point to about six point two percent of people at least once in their life. And there's a whole spectrum that it occurs on. So for people who experience it in the mildest way, you might wake you might wake up and find yourself unable to move, you know, for a few seconds, you know, or a minute. 
and then eventually you'll be able to shake it off and come to, and that'll be the end of it. For other people, it happens more frequently, it lasts longer, or it is accompanied by hearing things, maybe voices, maybe animal sounds, and sometimes seeing things. Um, sometimes, sometimes sort of shadowy ghost figures. Um, you know, and where it gets kind of weird is, you know, different people report seeing very similar things, you know, and in very similar characters even, you know, that if you start, you know, if you go down the rabbit hole of, um, you know, sleep paralysis message boards, you know, there'll be people talking about the shadow man or the hat man or the hood man, you know, or these different, you know, yeah. these, these different characters that appear in a, in a kind of similar way to people. Um, and, and, and you mentioned Freddy Krueger specifically in, in regards to one of the hat men, but then it's, so here's a interesting admission. I was actually, I had night terrors as a child. But uh-huh. You have night terrors, or I mean, I had, night terrors and night paralysis. I perceive as two different things. They are. So the difference is, if you have sleep paralysis, you're locked down and you're experiencing the monsters. Which I have had, but go or, on. Or in my case, my body wasn't locked down, and then I would get up and interact with the monsters in real life. Like, wait, what? So I'm still dreaming. And I'm trying to run from the same shadow man that you're talking about in your film. But you're actually, yeah. like, running around your house? Yes. <laughs> and I got hurt a it, bunch in it, my teenage years. You know, you're not the first person who's told You're not the first person who's told me that. But I had so a that. hat guy, too, and it freaked me out. Oh, my gosh. But it wasn't a Freddy <laughs> Krueger type. It was more... Uh, it was more of a Dutch hat, and he had long, long white teeth, and... Uh, uh, if if there was an imprint, it might have been the the guy in Poltergeist two. Oh, the old man <laughs> with like the third in hat. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, and you know, in Hatman is also a, I think a phrase that you know crosses over into you know abduction lore, and I think there I think there's Hatman talked about in the Mothman prophecies in the next yeah. case. Yeah, the man in plaid, um, I think, is what they call him in the Mothman prophecies. I was about to mention that because that's the per- the whole man standing over your bed is a big deal in Mothman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the lines between these these kinds of stories, you know, blur. And, um, you know, the thing about, you know, this film, you know, and one thing that people have, you know, one of the bones of contention, you know, is that we don't really talk to... Um, or just we plainly don't <laughs> talk to, you know, any scientists or sleep specialists or neurologists or anything. Um, but there's a little bit of that stuff that's sort of talked about, but only in the experience of the people that we, that our interviewees kind of bring it up in the course of their struggle to understand what's happening to them. Um, you know, and it's because, um, you know, there's science to say what's happening, what's happening in your brain, what's happening in your body you know, when you can't move and even when you might be prone to hallucination, but, you know, science has never been a place to go to when talking about why do people see the things they see, you know, especially, you know, whether you're talking about sleep paralysis or, you know, a psychedelic hallucination or, or even a dream, you know? Um, so, 
you know, I decided to, you know, keep it to first person, you know, eyewitness testimony. Okay. So you made the nightmare, but was it based off a of personal experience? I mean, was it, I guess not. Yeah, well, I, mean, I, I, I had sleep paralysis a handful of times and, you know, the first time it happened to me was, you know, one of the most terrifying things that ever happened to me in my life. And I was certain, you know, certain that it was a, a supernatural encounter. And I believed that for, you know, maybe two or three years until I found out that sleep paralysis was even, you know, a phenomenon that, you know, was written about or talked about by anyone. You know, I thought, How old were you? Uh, I was like 20, I think I was 21. I think I had just graduated college. Oh, so you were quite old then. This wasn't a childhood thing. Oh, no, it wasn't. No, not at all. Um, and I think it's most common, you know, in late teens and 20s. That Actually, the people that in our film, one, two, I think three of them talk about it happening to them in childhood. Um, there's eight people in the film. Um, but, you know, it didn't happen to, it didn't happen to me in childhood. Um, but, you know, I kind of found out that there was some science to it and that it happened to other people. And I kind of blissfully went on my way. But as I did, as I started researching it while thinking about doing this film, I was kind of amazed to discover the people who are writing about their experience experiences now, you know, a, how many of them there are and B how certain they are that, you know, what's happening isn't, you know, a hallucination being projected from within, but is actually, you know, some heightened sense of awareness. Well, the thing that's weird to me about the experiences I've had with sleep paralysis is, yes, there's off, there's often a presence in the room, something standing over you. But, like, if you dream about your bedroom, when you wake up, you know you were dreaming about your bedroom. When you have sleep paralysis, you're in that room. There's no difference. Oh, like, yeah. And it's weird because, like, everything else is normal except whatever the shadow thing is that's standing over you. That's exactly right, and that was exactly my experience. Hmm. How, what is that? What is, I mean, and it's funny, you mentioned, you mentioned the Mothman prophecy, and the Mothman is what helped me get over my sleep paralysis, is because after I read that book, I, I know this is weird, in a weird, sinky way, like people who listen to this show often will know what I mean, but for some reason, I drew a connection between those, and I started seeing whatever was bothering me when I was experiencing paralysis is like a moth to flame. So now, I meditate before I go to sleep, and I actually, like, calm my body down, you know, like, from the top of your head, you relax all your muscles. Because, I mean, sleep mm -hmm. paralysis, I've never had it when I was, well, maybe I have had it when I was waking up, but it's more often when I'm going to sleep. And it's almost like sure. you're, you're going to sleep, you're going to sleep, you're going to sleep. All of a sudden, your mind wakes up, but your body doesn't. Do you know what I mean? So, like, my body won't move, but my brain knows that I'm no longer asleep. And then it's yeah. like something like else is like standing over you. And I always perceived it as like, okay, there's some kind of energy thing going on here where there's like a moth that is attracted to a light bulb. So I started coming up with this theory in my head that you had to burn off the moth. That sounds so weird. But in a sync way, it made perfect sense when I read the Mothman prophecy. Um, well, I mean, that's kind of an interesting way to put it. I know there was one of the, um, you know, one of the people in the film, you know, talks about um, her fear being sort of a substance that the shadow man wants to eat. Mm. 
you know, which you which you'd be talking about, you know, attra- you know that you're attracting it, that you're the flame and the shadow man is the moth. Um, you know, if, if you're going back to science, I mean, you know, there's there's stuff out there about, you know, I think it, I, I think they say it happens because you move straight from REM two to awake without um, making a, a the typical stop over in REM one. And there may be something to do with uh, melatonin. Um, a lot of that stuff goes over my head pretty quickly, but you know, I would again say there's lots of it. There may be some, you know, there may be plenty of information about, you know, what's happening to your body, but I don't know that they can ever explain why people see the things they see and why so many people see similar things. I mean, there was there was actually an article in the Guardian, the um, the UK paper, a couple months back. Where you know they were they were talking about sleep paralysis and they said that the shadow person was actually your own. It was like your mind projecting your own internal body map mm. out outside of yourself into the room. That as if like your mind is keeping a like keeping track of your own body in a way that's sort of an internal thing and it's being projected externally. Um, huh. But as I said to. Um, you know, one of the, you know, one of the people who's in the film, like, that's an interesting idea. I don't know why your internal body uh, map was wearing a hat. (laughs) (laughs) Um, See, I don't know. I just always experienced it. I'm kind of embarrassed saying this, but my wife doesn't really listen to my podcast. So I always experienced it post-coital a lot. So I always experienced it some kind of like, where you're tired, but there's a lot of energy going on. Do you know what I mean? Uh-huh. So that's why I always kind of like associate or traveling. It happened a lot when I was traveling, like when I was like uh, going from like I, I would travel to a hotel room when we were spending the night in a hotel room. So it's like you're exhausted. Somehow your body's overly exhausted, but your brain's like pumped up on Red Bull because you were driving or whatever. Do you know what I mean? And it was just, yeah, well, I mean, well, I mean, there's definitely a there's a list of like a half dozen things that can bring it on, you know, like being stressed out, sleeping irregularly, sleeping on your back. Um, you know, some of them there's you know sort of folk ideas of things like um, eating too much cheese. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever heard of the you know, going before? to bed hungry, going to bed too full, right? Too much sugar, too much caffeine. But Rodney, yeah, have you ever yeah. heard of have you ever heard of the boo hag before? The boo hag? I don't think I have. This is I think the it's hag. the well I think it's I think it's actually culturally around the Charleston area or the South Carolina area, like what do they call it? The lowland or whatever. But the, is I that was, like the is it like the haint? There's there's one I think near New Orleans called the haint. It's probably, I mean, there's a lot of similarities between Charleston and New Orleans, period. So I imagine so. But, you know, I mean, because they're both like these <laughs> for the, the super old American uh, Bay areas. Do you know what I mean? So they both have like similar sure, sure. architecture and everything. And they're like these just the hodgepodge of religions and whatnot. But I mean, the boo hag is basically something that will sit on your chest and suck out your life while you're asleep and you can't move. A succubus, basically. Yeah, yeah, no. Well, 
mean, I haven't heard that name in particular, but um, there's the old hag and sitting on your, you know, something sitting on your chest is a classic, you know, sleep paralysis demon, um, you know, or a cat sitting on your chest, as in, as, as seen in uh, Stephen King's... Um, uh, cat's Eye, that came up to my mind. Cat's Eye. <laughs> right, right. Okay, so what about the claims <laughs> that your film is kind of getting into people's heads, maybe even... <laughs> playing with the idea that the looking over? it's like that idea that the fiction you're you're letting this thing into your life <laughs> well yeah well there's discussion about just bring, just bringing up the subject can make it happen to you um you know so it becomes sort of like the ring um yes but you could say the same thing about room 237 though i mean how many people do you think that that movie affected him becoming like Kruber kids or whatever? But, but <laughs> I mean, so what if like that's that's something you know? Oh, oh my gosh, there's all kinds of weird stuff. But the, if like you are causing sleep paralysis, um, yeah. Well, what are you gonna do? Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, if, you know, when you know someone you're talking with brings up that idea. You know, at the end of the day, it's interesting and it's relevant and it is eerie. And those are all things, you know, that you but want to include But did you play with film. that when you made it a little bit? Or? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, for sure. You know, well, because people describe the experience like, a, you know, that it's like being in a horror movie. And because there's actually some discussion of whether these experiences have, in fact, inspired horror movies and then it can be sort of like a chain reaction that you know somebody has this experience and it inspires you know a horror story there's something to suggest that it might have inspired that Mary Shelley may have had it before um, writing Frankenstein there's passages of Dracula that sound like um, he's describing a sleep paralysis experience you can go back to you know mythology in the Bible and Jacob wrestling with the angels that in a way, it sounds like it might be a sleep paralysis experience. So that sleep paralysis can inspire, you know, these sort of supernatural stories. But then, um, people who watch, you know, people who watch, read, listen to these stories when they have sleep paralysis, it could be that those stories influenced the experience that happened to them. You know, so you know, for all those reasons working even though this is arguably a documentary that working in the mode of a horror film seems completely appropriate you know to the to the subject at hand you know and if there's a threat of the um you know of the horror coming off of the screen i mean it's also a proud tradition in in horror you know william castle and the tingler um um in demons, uh, you know, in um, in Bernard Obama's demons, in demons too, um, you know, it's all it, it it all starts to blur together in kind of a, a wonderfully complicated way. Okay, and so this this film just premiered recently at Sundance, and so as far as its life goes, it, it's becoming something that people can see. How? Well, it's it's it's. It played at Sundance in South by Southwest, 
Um, at the end of the month, it's going to play at um, in Toronto at their Hot Docs Documentary Festival, then at the Stanley Fest at the um, Stanley Hotel. Um, you can see a double feature of it and Frankenstein if you make it out to Estes Park, Colorado. But when then is in, that? In, when is the Stanley in, Fest? That is, um, a, I think it's April 30th to May 3rd. Oh, wow. So that's quick. That's soon. Are you going to be there? But I'm going to be there. Wow. I think we might have to shake hands, Rodney. <laughs> well, that'd be awesome. Um, and then come, and then June 5th, it's going to be released, you know, in theaters and on uh, VOD. Okay. June 5th. June 5th. All right. And then how, what is it like to get it distributed into like a Netflix or something like that? Does that just... That, no, that's part, that, that's, that, 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 that's part of the plan, but you know, there's a window, so it'll be, you know, it, 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 it'll take a little while to, to to make it to those to that platform. Yeah, it seemed like when I was watching Room Two Three Seven, while it was in the theater, it simultaneously was available like as a kind of a, a rental situation on Amazon. Yeah, that's the way that a lot of distributors are doing it now. They call it day and date. That um, you can that. When it's in theaters, you can also do a sort of video on demand thing, and it's more. Exp- it's when it's still in theaters, it's a higher price, and then when it finishes its theatrical run, you know, you can you can get it on iTunes or something a little cheaper, mm-hmm. and then you know the next stop after there is you know streaming on Netflix or somewhere. Okay, well we're moving moving towards the end of our conversation, but you're asking for fifteen thousand dollars for the terror of Frankenstein and you said you're you're about two thirds of the way done with production? Oh well I mean the movie's basically done, but in order to retroactively pay people um for services rendered um and um and those sort of things. Um you know, we're hoping to uh <laughs> to be to be able to finance it through um you know through Kickstarter and um you know, and, and most of that, and in in some ways, Kickstarter is also just sort of like a uh, like a pre-buy. You know, like you can often it it's you know often just like buying the DVD before it's ready, and then you can use that money to finish the movie. Yeah, yeah, and so, but it's it's done. You'll you'll premiere it. At oh, this... it's, it's 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 playing one way or another, whether. You know, if we don't make the Kickstarter, you know, we'll have to, you know, bust a few more tables, but the movie's done. <laughs> <laughs> but as far as a premiere goes, it, it hasn't, has it been seen? Um, it has never been publicly screened before. The Stanley Fest um, is, in, is going to be the world premiere of Frankenstein, and there will also be a screening of The Nightmare. Well, that's that's something, yeah. And then, I mean, it seems like you've, you're working all the time. It wasn't that long that you, Room 237 came out, and, and here you have two new things that are basically kind of done at the same time almost. Uh, what are you, you going to do next, or are you going to take a, a break? Well, it felt like it was, for me, it felt like there was a pretty long break between 237 and this stuff. Um, um, I mean, right now I'm working on, you know, trailers, et cetera, for the nightmare and, you know, figure and, and figuring out what I'm going to do next. 
you know, there's a couple of things I'm poking at, but nothing has become my full-time obsession, um, like the nightmare or, or two or seven, um, just yet. And, um, and what's more, let me emphasize Tim Kirk directed, um, Tara Frankenstein. And I'm, I'm, I'm proud to be a part of it. And, and then your role as the editor, editor and producer. Okay. And then is that kind of a, a flip of what happened at room two, three, seven role reversing? Well, Where... it's just a different project. This is one that, you know, Tim conceived of and he wrote it with his cousin and I want, and I wanted to help. Yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't like we. I don't know. Flipped a coin for one and the other. <laughs> well, that was forty-two minutes. Thank you for sharing it with us. Oh sure, great to talk to you guys. Uh, sorry to end it on such a crass commercial note. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was Douglas's fault. But no, I mean, so like, it's interesting. Hollywood is so weird. It's like to do anything, you need money. And then right. it, it seems like you like I've seen Kickstarters that ask for like unreasonable amounts of money and then they get it, but you're not asking for tons. Yeah, smaller than some, you know, bigger than others. I I, I don't know how to um, you know, how to really measure them. And and, and and for the life of me, I don't know why some, you know, triple what they were hoping for, and others, you know, um, have to kick and have to kick and scream all the way to the end. Um, um, I think the number one Kickstarter of all time was for the coolest. Did you ever see that? No. Oh my gosh. It's the most amazing, um, um, picnic cooler that you've ever seen in your oh, life. Oh yeah. I've seen that. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, a, it, where, you know, it, it, it's a luggage cart and a stereo and a, a freezer and a refrigerator and like 15 other things. And yeah. It seems like the Homer Simpson mobile at first. But at a certain point, you're like, this is a totally amazing cooler. <laughs> I do need this in my life. <laughs> well, you've been listening to Rodney Asher on SyncBook Radio, a production of thesyncbook.com. Information about the work of Mr. Asher can be found at rodneyasher.com. And follow the links on our site to support his Kickstarter. For more information about the SyncBook, our guest, check out past shows or just subscribe to the podcast via iTunes. Please be sure and visit our website at 42minutes.com. If you like this podcast and would like more, consider becoming a member. Some of the membership benefits include full access to the complete audio archive, discounts on books, behind-the-scenes scripts, bonus audio and video, as well as monthly online hangouts with the hosts. All this and more can be found at thesyncbook.com slash membership. Thanks so much. And I ought to be thy Adam, but I am, rather, the fallen angel.
Normally, we wouldn't allow any last-minute entries, but these kids have come a long way, all the way from Riverbottom. Yes, these Riverbottom boys... Come on, let's clear it away there, huh? Come on, clear it out. What they've done is put together a genuine rock band. So let's welcome, please, tonight's last contestants. Here they are, the rock group known as The Nightmare. Nightmare 